Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Martin Arnold, our banking editor, Laura Noonan, our investment banking correspondent, and Emma Dunkley, our retail banking correspondent. Today we'll be looking at the third quarter earnings for the US banks, also, a look at Deutsche Bank as it embarks on a management clearout, And finally, what does the combination or planned combination of Visa and Visa Europe mean for the banks that use them? First, out to that story of the US third quarter bank earnings. For most of the big banks, Laura, it's been a pretty horrible quarter. Yeah, I mean, we've had the five main banks report results. We saw pretty poor revenue across the board on the trading front. Fixed income in particular has been a very, very challenged sector for them this quarter. So just to give you an idea of how bad the results are, we saw in terms of Goldman Sachs, their income from fixed income currencies and commodities fall by 33% in the quarter, which is a very big hit for them to take. Other banks would have seen a double digit fall. You know, the banks would stress There were a lot of exceptional circumstances for them to contend within the quarter. You had a lot of concerns around China, emerging markets, and the commodities were also fairly poor. So they would stress that it isn't a fair quarter to actually judge how their businesses are. But equally, it is a concern for investors because fixed income is an area that takes up a lot of capital. So since fixed income takes up a lot of capital, investors really expect to see the returns there to actually justify putting that much capital to work. Now, there were a couple of brighter spots. Uh, I think Citigroup and Wells Fargo did pretty well. Is that just because the predominance of retail banking? Yeah, I mean, Citi and Wells both put on a good performance on the retail banking front. In the case of Citi, they were able to hold up their core lending margins better than people expected, especially since interest rates remain very low. In the case of Wells Fargo, they were able to grow the bank. Now, that is mainly because they were making acquisitions. So, What we did also see across the US banks was it's incredibly tough to achieve top line growth without making acquisitions. That is more of a concern for people as there are now real doubts about the point when interest rates are actually going to raise. A lot of them would have been banking on their top line to increase automatically once interest rates did. They had been expecting an interest rate hike in September from the Fed. That didn't happen. There are now doubts about whether we'll even get an interest rate increase at all by the end of this year. And we may even have to wait until the second half of next year before that happens. So I think banks are going to have to be more creative themselves in terms of how they actually achieve that earnings growth and revenue growth. Yes, indeed. Just a final word then. We've got results from the European banks still to come, obviously. What can we expect on the basis of what the US banks tell us? Well, I think on the European front, anyone who has a large fixed income business is certainly going to have seen the similar trends to what we saw in the US. And those banks really we're talking about would be Deutsche Bank and Credit Suisse, who have the biggest fixed income. Those two banks are also interesting because they're in the middle of strategic reviews and we may see them shrinking their fixed income divisions anyway. So I think it would play quite well for them if they were shrinking their fixed income businesses at a time when fixed income earnings are cyclically low. In terms of the other banks, interest rates will have weighed on earnings across the pack because interest rates in the eurozone are still unhealthily low as well. 
We may also see evidence of what the ECB has been requiring banks to do around how they actually capitalise individual business units. We saw the first impact of that from an early statement from Deutsche Bank two weeks ago where they basically had to take a major goodwill hit because the ECB had effectively told them that they need to be setting more capital to work at different business units. Once you do that, that can then trigger an accountancy exercise which then forced them to impair a lot of goodwill. I think it'll be very interesting to see if we see similar trends across the other Eurozone banks. Well, we watch out for all of that. Let's move on to our second topic, Deutsche Bank. So, Martin, you've been writing a lot about the management upheaval at Deutsche, plus obviously this infamous fat finger trading incident. It's been a pretty busy week for Deutsche. It has, and there will be more to come next week when the new co-chief executive of the bank, John Cryan, presents the detail of this Strategy 2020, which is their five-year strategic plan, which he is planning to update investors on exactly how they're going to turn around the faltering performance of Germany's biggest bank. And in the last few days, investors have heard from him and from the bank about the top management On Sunday, the bank announced that several of its senior executives were leaving, others were being promoted, a big reshuffle of the top management that one analyst said was the most drastic shake-up at a big bank that he'd seen in 15 years of being an analyst. Deutsche also announced a rejig of its structure, splitting its very large investment banking operation in two. So you've got the corporate banking side being combined with the global transaction banking business and the securities trading business, which is fixed income and equities trading, being separated out into a separate unit. And then also a similar kind of split and combine operation going on with its wealth management and asset management business, where the asset management business is being separated out into a separate unit and the wealth management business being folded into the consumer banking operation. So you've got a more client-focused, in McKinsey-speak, type strategy at Deutsche. And I think the idea is also to have a more streamlined decision making process. So the bank has got rid of its executive committee, which was the level of managers below the management board, which is the kind of formal structure in the German dual board structure where you've got the supervisory board and the management board. Below that, they had a bigger group of executives on the executive committee, and they're getting rid of that. Some of those who were on the executive committee are being promoted up to the management board and others are leaving the bank, like Colin Fan, who was co-head of the investment bank. Michele Faisola, who was head of the asset management and wealth management business, he's also going to leave the bank. They both lost out on, you know, their empires are being carved up and they're also seen as very close to Anshu Jane, the former co-chief executive of the group. So a bit of a clear out at Deutsche. And then, as you mentioned, to compound all this, or perhaps to underline why all of this is necessary, it emerged this week that in June, the bank suffered the embarrassment of paying $6 billion to a US hedge fund by mistake. It was a mistake by a junior salesperson on their London-based foreign exchange trading team, and they processed the payment as a gross payment rather than a net payment. So it should have been a lot smaller. There were several too many zeros, apparently. Well, there's been a, a long history of such fat fingers, but that must rank up there among the most expensive, albeit they got the money back. 
They got the money back the next day, so not that expensive in monetary terms. But、uh, they had to report it to three of the main regulators in the U.S., in the U.K., and in Europe. And it's clearly embarrassing, and it does raise fresh questions about the quality and reliability of their internal controls. And that is something that John Cryan has already flagged up as wanting and in need of urgent attention. Well, as you say, it's a work in progress, which we will keep on top of over the coming weeks. Let me turn to Emma for our final segment of today,、uh, looking at Visa. You reported late last week, Emma, that Visa was looking to do a deal with its former European arm, which now it wants to bring back into the fold, Visa Europe, to combine to make a worldwide group. Is this just kind of shuffling deck chairs, or does it actually mean anything for anybody? Yeah, it means quite a lot. It's a deal that's been on the cards for a while, although it sort of stepped up a notch earlier this year when Visa Inc. in the US put out a statement in its earnings saying that it's in early stage talks as part of a formal process to acquire Visa Europe, which is owned by some three thousand banks and payment companies in the continent, including banks in the UK. Now the deal is significant insofar as for Visa, obviously it boosts scale, helps them to compete globally, even though they're the biggest such provider. But it's actually a move that would be welcomed by other card providers such as Mastercard, insofar as at the moment the banks that own Visa Europe are arguably tied to an extent to issuing Visa cards. So for other card providers, this is a way for them to acquire new business, so that the banks can start issuing, say, for example, Mastercards. And it also means a windfall, presumably, for the banks that own Visa Europe currently. That's right. So it'd be a huge windfall for the three thousand banks and payment companies who all own a share, and the amount they receive would be done by business volume. So in that regard, Barclays is the biggest, and they have ten percent of the volumes. So they would receive the biggest windfall of all the banks, and then Lloyd's Banking Group in the UK is also set to receive a few hundred million as well. But Barclays is arguably the、uh, main beneficiary. A nice bit of good news for a change for Barclays. We should leave it there. All that's left for me to do is to thank Martin, Laura, and Emma for their contributions. Also, thank you for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com/banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com/upgrade. Goodbye. <laughs>